0: to this week's sermon from C3Church, Narara. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net They were at the top they would have had incredible confidence to name the animals, to extend what God had given them, and God wants you to have confidence just like they had, for you to be somewhat the head and not the tail, for you to be on top and to know him, and confidence really does come through walking with the Lord and to know him, and There is a real freedom in having confidence in God. And I'm not actually speaking about confidence today. That's another freebie for you. How about that? What a start. Two for free. It's getting good. But something that can erode your confidence in this session, I'm not sure if we've got a screen, but this is session two, and we are going to talk about breaking spiritual bondages. sounds a little bit heavy. Can be a bit heavy, can be a bit dark. Spiritual bondages, breaking spiritual bondages. And God really, he loves you. He loves you unmeasured love, eternal love, all love. He really loves you and he wants you to experience all of his freedom. And he has a plan, as we've just mentioned. There's another guy that has a plan too. And we don't want to give him too much mention, but he is the one who doesn't want you to be free. So, we're going to talk about how they come, the effects, and then how you can break free. And we're not going to cover everything in the next 20 minutes because the spiritual world is, is large and we don't have enough time. The Bible says that the universe is God's footstool. Now, if the universe is his footstool, the spiritual realm is significantly large, it's really seriously big. So, spiritual bondages, and there's lots of ways that people can get stuck in an influence that is dark. Or an influence that is demonic, an influence of possession, or an influence of oppression. And if you look around, you, it's, some of them are obvious. People that deal in the occult, people that get into witchcraft or sorcery or tarot cards or all that stuff. It could come from uh, a spiritual bondage, could come from an unhealthy soul tie, an abusive relationship. There can be healthy soul ties like marriage. Marriages are healthy soul tie. You can have healthy relationships in church where they're really quite strong. Um, ch- fathers and children and um, and pastors and, and people f- in, in church can have healthy relationships. But there can be a lot of unhealthy relationships that open the door to bondages. You want to watch out for who you're connecting with and be aware of, of how deep you're going in some of relationships. There are many other ways people can place... A- Heavy burdens, expectations on people that they're just never going to measure up can open the door to spiritual bondages. And a spiritual bondage is the condition of being under control of an external spiritual force, preventing someone from experiencing real freedom in Christ. It's like having your arms and legs bound up so you can't function as God naturally designed you to function, a spiritual bondage speaks of being spiritually imprisoned behind bars, come under the sentence of a judge. A spiritual bondage talks about a position of slavery, which is what sin does, and being captive in subject to someone else's authority. So it's wise for us to be aware, to understand who we are and what we have in Christ and that we belong to God. Psalm 100 says, "It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people. You belong to God." If you go back to Genesis again, then God said in Genesis 1:26, "said Let us make man in our image and our likeness. This is God. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, and all the earth." And over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. You've been created. You've been created in the image of God. You've been created in the image of a triune being. And just like God, you have three parts to who you are. And you need to be aware that there are three bits to you you have a body. And in there, you have a spirit and you have a soul. you have a heart and emotions and mind. It's all going on in there. And God's original design and intent was this a wonderful ecosystem of parts working together, working in harmony with each other in relationship with Him. Now through sin, that harmony, that relationship, has somewhat been broken. But in Christ, it has been restored. And it's a lifetime of restoration. It's a lifetime of restoration. So you are a spirit in a body, and you have a soul. Our soul and our spirit co-inhabit this being. In 1 Samuel 1.15, Hannah, when when she's barren, she can't have children, she pours out this emotional prayer and the priest Eli thinks she is drunk. And she says, no, my Lord, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. And we have this interdependent relationship between soul and spirit. You are a triune being. There's three parts to you. There's three parts to you. The devil's foul play tricked people into sin. And it was their sin, and it was as much about them listening to the devil as it was about disobeying what God told them to do. They actually agreed with what the devil said, which opened the doorway to oppression, which opened the doorway to the fall of man and the state of the world today. And he gained authority. Satan gained authority in that moment. When Jesus was baptised, he came up out of the water. The Holy Spirit led him out into the desert. After 40 days of fasting, the devil came to him. The devil's such a pansy. Well, he comes to him when he's weak. That's what he'll try and do to you. But he comes when he's weak and he tempts him and he tries to offer him all these things. One of the things that he offers him is he says, I give you all, all the kingdoms of the world. I give you all their authority and splendor because it has been given to me. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. That's what the devil said to him. And Jesus, away from me, Satan. And through the cross, Jesus has taken back this authority that was handed to him. Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, after he has been through the cross, resurrected, just before he goes back to heaven, he says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. And in that moment of the cross, Satan was stripped of that authority, but he still operates today because he has power, but he has no authority. He has a plan. His plan is very simple, to steal, kill and destroy. And part of that is that he would like to tempt you and affect you with sin so that he can gain access into your spirit and get some authority over you to hold you down, to break you into pieces and stop you from knowing true freedom. But we can be aware and we can be aware that God has a plan and his plan as Jesus said in John 10, is that I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So I much prefer that idea and that plan. So we need to be aware of who we are. We need to be aware of who he is and aware of his schemes. And in James 4 verse 7, it says, Submit then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, because you, as a believer, have the authority of Jesus Christ. So spiritual warfare will go on and he'll try and attach himself to your spirit. So that he can oppress you and affect your soul and your function. Oppression has two meanings in the Bible. It's to break into pieces or to control over, to hold you down. Ever felt down? Ever felt held down? Ever felt like things are breaking into pieces? Maybe it's not just your circumstance. Maybe just not all your thoughts are all your thoughts. Maybe there are other voices, familiar spirits who sound so much like you that you can't tell if they're you or not. There are a lot of voices in the spiritual realm. So let's see how how bondages come. They are rooted mostly in sin. Sometimes they seem to gain access. I don't know. I don't know everything. The spiritual world is rather large. But they gain access. They gain access into your mind. That's where a lot of the warfare is. And they can connect themselves to your spirit. And what he will try to do, he will try to get you into sin. And it might not be your sin. It might be the sin of somebody else. It might actually be the sin from someone in your family line that lived 100 years ago. I don't know how that happens, but it does. It's called a generational curse. And if you're suffering... From something and you don't know what it is well then we've got someone called the Holy Spirit who can answer those deeper questions and speak to you about those things David is just there right he's just there and then all of a sudden uh, there's a drought and three and a half years into the drought he's like the cattle are dying the, com- the, the country's going into recession this is not bad people are suffering so he inquires of the Lord I don't know why it takes three and a half years but it takes three and a half years so he inquires of the Lord Why is this drought here? The Lord says to him, it's because Saul killed the Gibeonites. Saul has been dead for a generation. He's been dead for ages. What? Because what? Because Saul killed the Gibeonites. Well, who are the Gibeonites? Well, when Joshua entered the promised land, he was told to wipe out all the nations because they fought against him. So they fought them back. And because when you fight battles with God, you win. And so the Gibeonites saw them coming through, defeating everyone. The walls of Jericho coming down. They started to hear the stories. So they dress up. They put it on. They dress up in old clothes, get some stale food, go out to see um, Joshua and the army coming in, and they pretend that they're someone that they're not. And what their plan is, let's get them to sign an agreement with us that they won't kill us and that we can live in the land. So Joshua without inquiring of the Lord, signs an agreement with the Gibeonites that he's not supposed to do. But he signs this agreement. A few days later, he realizes he's been tricked, but now he has an agreement that he cannot break. He cannot break. This is 400 years before Saul, or 350 odd years before Saul. So there's this agreement. So they have to live in the land. They go against God. So 350 years later, Saul decides, right, let's kill these guys. But when he does that, he invites a curse on the land. He dies, and David lives out the curse. David lives out the curse. I read a story of a guy, he's plagued by death thoughts. He thinks, oh, I'm going to die. Every time he gets on a plane, he's a pastor, he's a, a preacher guy, he's confident. But every time he goes somewhere, every time he gets on a plane, it's, oh, I'm going to die here. Every time he goes to another city that he doesn't know anyone, it's, not even, it's, in, the same, it's in the same country, I'm going to die here. He's always I'm going to die here. For years, I'm going to die here. Then his kids, the same thoughts. I'm going to death thoughts, like death. The spirit of death harassing. So he asks God, what is going on? Why has this thing got access to my brain? Why do I even think like this? The God says back to him, it's because your mother, when she was very young, had a man come and read tarot cards to her. And when that man read tarot cards to her, he cursed her. And when he cursed her, he put a spirit of death on your family. And that's why your father died, drowned. That's why he died. So at one o'clock in the morning, he rings his mum. Mum, is this true? His mum starts to weep. Yes, it's true. I didn't want to disappoint him. He was older than me. I surrendered to what he asked me to do. And he read me these tarot cards. And when he read me these tarot cards, they were all curses. They were all, your family's going to suffer. Your husband's going to die. This is going to happen. And it's played out in his family ever since. And he's like, Mom, it doesn't have anything to do with him. Mom... So they renounce that spirit. She repents and the thoughts leave because he has the authority of Jesus Christ. He has authority. So they might be someone else's sin. It might be your sin. It might be a door has been opened. You don't know where. But God hates sin. He wants you to be free. And we have the authority. Let's go to a passage in Isaiah When Jesus started his ministry, he turned there. Chris read it last week. I'm just going to look at a couple of things in this. and It says in Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 7, The Spirit of God, the Master, and this is from the message, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the brokenhearted, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners, God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn. To comfort all who mourn. And we know if you read through the gospels, Jesus is healing the sick, casting out demons, proclaiming God's kingdom. It's the same today. It's the same today. And you have his authority. You have the authority of Jesus on the inside of you. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, then I would encourage you to consider his claims and what he's done and walk in that authority. So there's two things here which I have found to have a crack at me at times. It says, announce freedom to all captives, pardon all prisoners. Captives and prisoners. A captive. As I mentioned, is someone becomes captive through lies and deception, and it's agreement with things that aren't the truth. It's actually agreeing with a lie or something that is not true. Become captive to those thoughts, and it's a perceived reality that's not a truthful reality, and we'll come to that in a minute. Prisoner is someone who's come under sentence from a judge. So let's have a look at a prisoner for a minute. People who have come under sentence from a judge. Matthew 18, 21. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Like a lot? Or is there a cutoff point where we don't forgive anymore? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, you don't keep a register and a little graph and a little bar graph. For, all right, we're up to 69 I don't know if I can forgive you anymore. I mean, whoever's like sinning against you that many times, that's a tough relationship. You might need to get some counseling. I don't know. But if you've got a bar graph going with someone, it doesn't mean that. It just means we live in forgiveness, we live under the covenant of grace. We ask God to help us, but where for- just forgiveness flows through us. There's never a time when we, oh, gee, I don't know if I can forgive. Although some things you will need the comforter to help you walk through because some things are beyond your natural ability. But praise God for the grace of the Father. Praise him for his grace. So Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. How does someone get in so much debt? Honestly, 10,000 bags of gold back in that time? Are they going to build the temple out of that? Like what's, that is just so much gold. That is just so much debt. A man, Since he was not able to pay, fair dinkum, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. You know, this is our debt before God for sin. That's what that is. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. Oh, so gracious. But then the servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister From your heart. Pretty solid passage of scripture. You glad you came to church this morning? It's all right, it comes with a smile, and that one's for free. (laughs) Unforgiveness opens the doorway to these guys, and that is kingdom principle. And that's how they will gain access into your mind, into your spirit. Unforgiveness, bitterness, they only hurt you and they only hurt the people that you love. The people that are around you. And God doesn't want that. He wants you to be free from all these, these kind of burdens. And people aren't perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to hurt. And you're going to have to come to a place where you can find forgiveness. Where you can be free. And so God really insists that we forgive one another so we can be free. And people spend their lives with bitterness, hating others, planning revenge. Well, if I see that person, I'm going to say this, this, this. And I'm going to say this. And then I'm going to feel right. And I'm going to feel better. It doesn't work like that. Because you never see that person anyway, because I've had those thoughts. If I see that person, I'm going to say this. And then they're going to know they've wronged me. And then there's this thing called the Holy Spirit who goes, hang on, that might not be a good idea if you just... Let's live with that now. (laughs) But if you hold on to unforgiveness, you will open the door to spiritual oppression. And forgiveness really inspires a decree from the king. It inspires him to set you free, that you can be free, and gives you the authority to command all that stuff to go, to command all that oppression, all that brokenness, that that can go. And so it's so important that we walk with God, that we walk with the Holy Spirit and that we don't let unforgiveness start to rule in our hearts because other guys will come and they are not nice at all. A of silence. Just let it settle in. Let me read you a story. So, this guy's ministering. He says, After I finished my final session, two young girls came up to me for prayer. I could see the misery afflicting these young women. One of the girls was standing off to my side waiting for her turn while the other was clawing at herself as she stood in front of me. I began to pray for her. I quickly realised this was not going to be one of those Jesus come fill her up kind of prayers. I was about to engage in a spiritual battle that I thought should be easily won with all the authority we believers have Been given in Christ. As we began, she said, I just want it to go away. You want what to go away? I said, I want the punishment to go away. I can't stop punishing myself, she cried. I took her by the hand so she would not injure herself any further and I began to look for the entry point of her pain. I could feel the Holy Spirit urging me to walk her through the process of loving herself so I had her repeat after me, I love myself. At first my words fell on hollow ears. She just trembled in front of me at the thought of repeating those words. A lot of time passed before she broke through the barrier of shame. Finally she whispered, I love myself. We continued this process for a while. Then I decided it was time for her to ask why she was punishing herself. She explained that she had given herself away to a guy who she thought she loved her. Shortly after that experience, he was gone and she was left all alone with the shame of losing her innocence to a liar. The humiliation of losing her innocence deceitfully was more than she could take. The thought of what she had done plagued her like an incessant nightmare. The very thought of her ex boyfriend sent her into a rage. Unable to escape the shame, she began to punish herself by getting with other men and several several other men self-hatred and unforgiveness had become her closest friends she was a powerless prisoner of her own demise i started her on the process of forgiving herself self-destructive roots had grown so deeply in her i walked her through the theology of what christ did for us on the cross and how he became justice for us so that we could forgive so that she could forgive herself then i had her ask Then I had her ask Jesus how he sees the man who stole her innocence from her. Jesus showed her that he loves the man but grieves over him. Then she was able to feel God's compassion for her ex-boyfriend and forgive him. Finally, she broke the partnership that she had made with the punisher, the torturer, as Jesus drove that spirit out of her. Surprisingly, both girls that night had the same issue. Unforgiveness had enslaved their souls and the Punisher had become their prison guard. They had been bound by the regrets of the past, but they were freed that night and God restored them. So not all your thoughts are your thoughts. And you don't have to stay with those thoughts or with those behaviours. And so unforgiveness, forgiveness, is just such a vital part of the cross, such a vital part of the cross. When I first came to Christ, when I first discovered that he loved me so many years ago, it took me about, I was about eight years, to actually come to a point where I realised I had to need, I had to forgive myself because of the destructive lifestyle that I'd lived before I became a Christian. And the, the shame and the, the torturers, the voices. And they voices like this. They're voices like, you're not worth very much. You can't do that. What do you think you're going to do? Just ruckling around your brain. Where did that come from? That's, oh, well, that's me. And what it does is causes people to live without confidence in God. But, you know, when you walk in truth... Your reality and those things is changed. All right, let's move on to captives. Captives are people that get trapped through lies and deception. The war has worn them down. They become a prisoner of war and their agreement lines up with mostly words. Words that other people speak or words in their thoughts. That open doors. Proverbs 18:21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so, there's words that are spoken, and often a reaction to pain that can be received. Words that are negative and destructive, filled with anger, can release darkness or demonic spirits into your mind, into your world. Words spoken by parents or teachers, authority figures, spiritual leaders can carry great impact. Not that long ago, I said something to Ruth, like my little Ruth, not the pastor Ruth. She uh, seems to spill milk a bit. And I'm like, oh, you always spill the milk. What are you doing? You missed a cup. And I just was like, hang on a minute. I cannot curse her with milk spilling. Now that... Is a very sort of small example. So now we just sort of clean it up. You'll be right. Just aim a bit straighter next time. We'll get there. But I don't want her when she's twenty-two. Oh, I spilt the milk again. I always spill the milk. You want to sit under the words of a father? Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and. Words of failure, name-calling abuse, they can stick like fiery darts, cause people to live under that word, and to a point where the person agrees with that word, and when there's agreement in a heart or a spirit with a word that's destructive, that's what opens the door. And your agreement can work uh, in faith, and it can work in the opposite. It can open amazing doors. Your agreement with God's word, your agreement with a prayer partner, your agreement can... See things change that you didn't ever think could change if you take a stand. The, I, I love the talk of the road out here where we changed the median strip um, because it was supposed to be this $200,000 development and we, we're never going to have the money for it. But I just heard of a, a, a church that got a whole set of traffic lights the council changed all the plans around and I thought we can have that they can have that why can't we have that why do we have to have a median strip so I thought well let's get the council to build a set of traffic lights or something out there so it serves our favour and we don't have to pay for it so I just thought the same example anyway in one of the meetings I just said I don't think we're gonna have to pay for that median strip I'd had enough it would have been like seven years and I'm like stuff this median strip without expletives we're not having a meeting strip. I don't want a meeting strip. So and then Ruth goes, Pastor Ruth, not my not, not Ruth. Um, she says, well, I will agree with you and we will pray for a solution. So there's a tiny little thing out there now and we didn't really have to pay that much for it. But it, until that moment, nothing changed. After that moment, that changed. So your agreement can work for good or it can open doors that you do not want to open. And so you need to consider... What you're agreeing with. When I first started a business, a guy said, what's Byron going to do? He can't run, he can't start, it. he can't do that. And before it sort of got in here, just let it go through to the keeper. Like, yeah, cricket analogy, where's Janelle? Just let it go through, just don't receive it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I wanted to see what God can do. You don't receive it. Don't let it stick. Let it just slide off. Let it go through. Let it just fade. Let it just go. Don't agree with those kind of words. Uh, agreement with words in your thoughts. you got to be careful what you let go around in your mind. And as I said a few times, and I'll say it again, not all your thoughts are your thoughts some of them are just getting slipped in there as they as your thoughts are going along sometimes at hundred miles an hour I've got to this thing that thing this. One. he just fires little fiery darts in just 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 get this one in this little bit of discouragement in here let's just get this little bit of failure in here let's remind him of the last time he tried that and it didn't quite work let's just get these thoughts in so have you ever thought oh, I just can't face this anymore I can't face this ever been driving down the road I don't have to go through this slog. I could just finish this now. I could just drive into this tree. I could just, I could just end it. I could just, No one would notice if I wasn't here. No one would notice if I wasn't around. I don't think anyone really cares. No one really loves me. Who loves me? No one loves me. No one loves me. No one loves you. Have you ever had just random thoughts, harsh thoughts just coming at you? Just coming in. It's so important that we are people of the Word of God so that when these things come in, you can say, no, God loves me. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm God's pinnacle of creation. I don't know where that comes from in the Bible, but uh, um, I know I am. <laughs> take it. Take it. Whatever sounds good. <laughs> Fight those thoughts. Don't agree with them. Don't Walk in those thoughts, those thoughts that can create emotional numbness and withdrawal and discouragement and depression, those thoughts of shame, those thoughts that line up and sort of a comforting kind of death wish. Some people get this comforting, oh, if I I, I had to die, I wouldn't have to go through this slog. It's this comfort with death. You do that and you are going to open a door to a voice that will not leave you alone. Shut that door. Close it down. Don't let him have access like that. You have been paid highest price by Christ. You have all authority. Is that all you got? Is that all you got? Moses, when all the people are complaining, he says... Why have you brought your tr- this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, Give us meat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, do not let me face my own ruin. God gets really angry. And he gives them so much meat that it goes rotten. He has a big vent. And then God actually... Sorts him out and gives him a heap of leaders after that to help him carry the burden. There's always a solution. You're never that alone. So you don't, know, you don't want to agree with those kind of thoughts because you're just going to set up an agreement with that guy to speak those things into your mind and oppress you and harass you. And when they get in, yes, their, their steal, kill and destroy thing is very real. It's, it's break you into pieces or hold you down so that you cannot function in... The plans God has for you. Thank you, Jono. It's great. Great scripture. The plans God has for you. Let me read you another story. All right, let's start about here. It was early Sunday morning, the worship team was taking us on a Holy Spirit journey. Sitting in front row, I felt compelled to begin walking among the congregation and blessing them. The sanctuary was full of people standing and singing, completely lost in worship. I slowly moved in and out of the crowd, trying not to disturb anyone while I gently touched and blessed people. About halfway through the crowd, I noticed an elderly couple worshipping directly in front of me. They had been members of our church for over 30 years. I came up behind them and lightly laid my hands on their shoulders. They turned their heads towards me to see who was touching me. We smiled as our eyes met, and they continued to worship. But something strange happened when I put my hands on the wife, Martha. I heard the word suicide in my spirit. Martha was the last person in the world that I thought would have thoughts, was struggling with suicide. She was happy and had a reputation as a wise and committed Christian. I decided to take a risk. I leaned over and whispered in her ear, Martha, by any chance are you dealing with suicidal thoughts? She opened her eyes and nodded, acknowledging that she was struggling with suicide. Tears rolled down her weathered cheeks as she leaned over and whispered in my ear, I've been plagued with the thought that I should kill myself for nearly two months. I've Never been suicidal in my entire life. I'm a happy and stable person, so I don't know why I'm having these horrible thoughts. Martha, did you go through something painful recently and entertain the thought that you could just die and all the grief would be gone? Her eyes widened and the tone of her voice intensified. Yes, that's right. That's exactly what happened. I was really going through a hard time with one of my grandkids a couple of months ago. The situation was so desperate and it hurt so badly that I said to myself, I could just die in peace and this would all be over. Did the terrible sense that you wanted to take your own life start right after that? Yes, yes. She said, Martha, when you chose to embrace death to bring peace, you made a covenant with the spirit of suicide to comfort you. I explained the devil's ministry is to steal, kill, and destroy. Whenever we embrace one of these three elements, that is his ministry, invite demonic spirits to oppress us. I put my arms around her to comfort her. Martha laid her head on my shoulder. How do I get free? Repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, forgive me for making a covenant with the devil by inviting death to comfort me. Thank you that you gave me the Holy Spirit, who is my comforter and my friend. Now repeat this, your spirit of suicide, I break your agreement with you. I no longer want you in my life. The spiritual world is very real and always working in light and in darkness, in freedom and in bondage. And you have the authority of Christ to walk in freedom, to not put up with whatever is oppressing you. And some things you walk through, not in an instant. That might take a long time. But if you walk in truth, you will be free. Now, I just want to touch on a couple of things to break bondages as we've heard in those prayers. First thing is that the anointing breaks bondages. Isaiah 10 verse 27, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing, because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. Jesus said in Matthew 11, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. A yoke is what they would stick on two cows, pretty much, and let's plough the field. And they were controlled by that, and they were given direction by that. And it was heavy. It was a heavy burden for them to carry and tow that thing all the way through the paddock and plough the field. But Jesus says, here, take that one off. Let's put on my yoke. My yoke is full of life. My yoke is light. It's easy. And it will carry you. It will bring life to you. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You've got to know that you can be set free. Connect yourself to Jesus. The second thing is to recognize what is going on. Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask him for his grace. Forgive people. Forgive yourself. You're going to make some mistakes. It's been done before. It can, it's okay. All right? pick yourself up, forgive yourself. If you can't, ask him to give you grace. You know, when there's something like that, if there's something very challenging, there is a deep well of God's grace for you to discover. And the higher, the harder the challenge, the more grace and the deeper the sweetness of that grace that you can discover. Captive thoughts and habits Understand, recognize these thoughts that aren't yours and agree with God's word. If you're getting captive to something, you will be released by truth. John 8.32 says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word truth in this scripture means reality. It means reality. You will know the reality of this God and of the reality of Jesus will set you free. And so many of us can just be trapped in a virtual reality. We've just got those goggles on we just got them wearing them. They're all covered up. It's like this virtual reality going on in there. And it feels real. And it looks real. And you think it's real, but it's not real. The truth reveals the nature, reveals the reality, reveals the grace, the power of God. So you need this revealing of truth. And if you walk in truth, it will be revealed to you. If you walk in the scriptures, if you walk in the anointing, if you walk with God, if you seek God with your heart, if you go after him as you would for treasure, if you go after him, then you will walk in this truth and this anointing and those things will go away. Trust me, they will leave. They will leave. The anointing and the truth breaks those things away. Fear and discouragement and shame and lack of confidence, low self-worth. When I first came to church, we had a prophet come. His name was Fergus. Some of you will know Fergus. Fergus has gotten a bit older now, but back then he used to come a lot. I had no idea what a prophet was. I didn't know. A prophet is someone who just knows, can just know you, like read God reveals to you, and, and it's like they, they knew you all your life kind of thing. Anyway, this guy was really switched on. And, and I saw him prophesy over Dale and Aaron. And he spoke in computer terms over Dale, and I thought, wow, this guy's got it going on. And I'd only been in church for about a year. And in that time, like if you'd asked me to talk to you, it would have just been really quiet. You would have had to come really close because you wouldn't have been able to hear me. And Erin remembers that because she was our youth pastor and she asked me to speak in youth one day and no one heard anything. <laughs> and I I shared the best message. It was so powerful. But something happened. It just didn't come out properly. It was really quiet. Powerful message it was. And what it was, was this spirit of timidity, of really low self-worth. So when I went to share something, because I didn't have worth, because I didn't have any sort of sense of of God's love or or pinnacle of his creation back then, I, I... I, um, I just was like, I just didn't feel like I was worthy. But anyway, this guy comes in. I think he's not going to say anything. He'd spoken computer terms over Dale, but he does not know me. He doesn't know where I've been. And he just stands there, and I stand there, and he stands there, and I'm waiting, and, he, and he's just standing there. And then he just put his hand right there, and he went, you underestimate your worth. And I didn't even know I underestimated my worth. But I tell you, in my spirit, in that moment, something left. And I, I just had like lightning go through. I, and I'd never experienced anything like that. And then he said, you're going to be a pillar. You're going to be this. And in the next five years, timidity will be broken off your life. And I, I knew I was sort of reserved, a little bit aloof. But really timid. Didn't know that, but I was. I was really timid. And so I walked in truth. It didn't all leave right then and there. Yes, I still heard lots of voices of shame. They came... Because when I was 17 years old, a friend of mine was killed in a car accident. And on my birthday, we went to his funeral. And in that moment, I had several breakdowns in several relationships. And so what me and my mates thought we would do is is just get high. Because that's what you do when you don't have Christ and you're suffering with pain. So then five years later, almost the same thing happens. One of my mates commits suicide. This girl that I sort of was engaged to uh, left and it was my birthday. And so when you go through intense pain and you don't know where to turn, so we just, a group of us, we just turn more into drugs and more into alcohol and more, but all that does is leave you black and all it does is really bad lifestyle choices. And so then uh, after a, a little while, you start to get isolated. And you're just not seeing anyone. Have you seen that guy? I haven't seen that guy for a while. I wonder what he's doing. Well, he's just sitting at home or he's just not doing. So on the outside, I've got it together. But on the inside, there's a hole, man. And there's all these thoughts going on. So then one day, I look up into the sky and I say, God, if you're up there, I need to know who you are. Two days later, I pick up a hitchhiker and drop him off at church and he tells me how God, how God set him free from heroin, which really I thought was quite strange because I knew heroin and smoking are very difficult to get away from. And so that just really made me curious. So then I went to church and it was great, but then I didn't go back because I had all these shame, you're not worthy, you can't do it, all going on on the inside. So then I after a little while, because I experienced God's peace, I'm like, I've got to have that peace again. I've just got to go back. So then I went back and walked in truth for the next seven years and just walked out of discouragement and shame and timidity and just walked under the anointing. And I can't say I had a big deliverance moment. I had a prophet come and that was a changing moment. I received Christ and when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, anything that's inside of you, you cannot, you can't be double-possessed. You can't be possessed by the spirit and possessed by some other spirit. They've got to leave. So I had some moments, but just walking in truth, shame, which is really black, shame, discouragement, which just holds you back from being confident, from knowing who God is and knowing all that you can be, just, just walked out, w- walked them out. And I don't know when they left, but they're not there anymore. But sometimes I catch these words, hang on a minute, that's not my thoughts. That's not my thoughts. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me. I've got to change my thinking on that one. That guy's trying to get at me. I can sense it. Well, you look in the mirror, I hate you. I don't like you. Oh, well, it's me. No. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. All kinds of different thoughts. So the third thing I want to say is pray. Set aside time in a quiet atmosphere, away from distractions and pray. Let God... Speak to you. Get a trusted, spiritual, mature person to pray with you and expect God to answer your prayers. Come on, why don't we stand and we'll, we'll close the service. Repent from any sin that may be related and let roots be pulled up. Renounce any bondages which we can do today. Release forgiveness to others and to yourself and reach out to the Lord with faith to complete freedom and declare The Word of God, declare faith in your life and continue to meditate on God's Word with passages get freedom inside of you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.